Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. I listened to Maney's message last week and it was a great message introducing uh, Peter, but he told the story at the beginning of that of, of a neighbour. I think it was a neighbour who he, he mentioned he was a pastor and that just about ended the conversation. Do you remember that? And uh, it reminded me, and I was listening to it, that uh, I remember years ago now I was in a plane flying somewhere and you always, when you get on a plane, you always want to know who you're sitting next to, right? So I come down the aisle and I'm sitting next to a little old lady. I say little old lady, I've got to be careful saying that because she's probably younger than me, but... but uh, Sitting as a little, little old lady and we started chatting. The plane hasn't taken off, hasn't started on the taxiing yet. So we, we're just chatting away. And um, uh, she said eventually, she said, what do you do? And I said, I was, I was pastoring a church, the church at the time. And I said, uh, I, I, I'm a pastor. She was very interested. She's a lovely little old lady. Oh, you tell me what you do, and et cetera, et cetera. So we talked and we chatted for quite a while. And uh, then the plane took off and we chatted all that time. And then, you know, the uh, seatbelt sign went off and I had to, I was late doing something. I was preparing a message. And so when the seatbelt sign went off, I pulled the table out the, and got, got a Bible out and got my notepad out and I was making some notes. And she, she watched and, and, uh, and then, you know, we took off and uh, we're up in the air for a while. and. Um, we, she just started reading a book and I kept moving and writing and then the food truck came around and had something to eat and, and then um, I put my, closed my Bible up and, and uh, etc. and just dozed off for a while and uh, woke up a little while later, I don't know how long later, woke up a little while longer and I, I opened my Bible up again started making some notes and this dear little old lady said to me, uh, she knew what I was doing, she knew I was preparing a message, she said to me, hey, if it puts you to sleep, what's it going to do for the people on Sunday? She said to me. So I hope, uh, hoping this doesn't put you to sleep or anything like that at all, but uh, it wasn't the same message I was preparing then. So I've been looking at uh, Peter. Peter's a, a conundrum to me. He's a confusing character in some ways, but he's a breath of fresh air. I'll tell you why. He's, he's the first... Um, disciple to say out loud, as Jesus asked, you're the Messiah, the Son of the risen God. And he got it from God himself. He got that from God himself. And yet that same Peter is the Peter who disconnected himself from Jesus a couple of times before the cross, just pulled back. This is the Peter who's one of only two people in the history of the world to have walked on water. And yet he gets afraid. By the way, just for interest's sake, he, he doesn't sink and get afraid. He gets afraid and then sinks. You've got to think about that for a while. He got afraid while he was walking on water. It's really important that we grasp that. This is the, uh, the Peter who had prominence in the early church, the early pastor, the early leader of the church. And yet he still didn't get the gospel for a while because he, he thought it was only for his people. He thought it was only for Jewish people. Had to be a little while, little while later that God had to wake him up again and say, no, this is for Gentiles as well. So he's a conundrum, but he's a breath of fresh air because that's us. 
We have fantastic relationship with God and it's all going along wonderfully. And all of a sudden, you hit a road bump. You hit something and you have all these questions and doubts, and etc. And God understands all that. Peter's a conundrum. But over the years, he's matured and now he is writing to churches and to people, disparate people, not one particular church, disparate people in what's modern day Turkey, writing to them about their life, to live different. That's what Peter's doing. That's what he's about. And and so he's now writing to that. And in the passage we're going to look at today, the passage that follows on, Peter talks about who Jesus is and who therefore we are. And he uses some extraordinary words. I want you to listen to some of the phrases, some of the words that Peter uses, this now maturing disciple of Jesus uses as he talks in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, starting at verse 4 through to verse 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, us, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, we would pray that we would just hear your word clear to us today. Amen. He firstly reminds us who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And, you know, one of the things you need to understand about Jesus, he's often talked about the carpenter of Nazareth. And that's how Peter, in a sense, and the others met him to start with, the carpenter of Nazareth. But that word carpenter, in the, in the original language, the Greek language, is the word tekton. It's the word we get our, our word uh, technical. It, relate, it wasn't just a carpenter, it was a tradie, it was an artisan, it was a craftsman, anybody who worked with their hands. You know, when I was at school, those kids who were good with their hands did tech drawing and tech studies, did metalwork and woodwork. We get that, our word tech, technical from that word. They did that in year 10, 11 and 12. They were great. And those of us who weren't good with our hands, we did wonderful things like Latin and trigonometry and stuff that's been fantastic for us throughout life. <laughs> but a tecton was someone who was great with their hands. We've interpreted it as carpenter, but Jesus was more than a carpenter. He was more than that. He would have been involved in building and stone laying and 
metalwork. He would have been involved in all of that. We get this picture sometimes of Jesus sitting in a little carpenter's shop in Nazareth, you know, making legs for chairs and tables for people around about. And I'm sure he did a bit of that. But you would have seen Jesus on building sites. He would have been on building sites. And I can imagine Peter walking past a a place, walking down the road where the disciples went and saying to Jesus, do you build that place? Yeah, Dad and I built that place. We laid some stones and gee, it was hard getting the architrave in and the window frames. It was hard to get those in in that place. Hard to get the place level, but we started laying, because he did, did the works. He was a tecton. Really important that we grasp that and we understand that. That's, uh, that's important because it's in this passage of Scripture that Peter uses those sort of illustrations. He uses that illustration of the building. And I reckon he would have been, as you come to him, the living stone. See, Peter's thinking of Jesus, the stuff that he did. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, you also like living stones. He's, he's kind of bringing that illustration to us. We're the building blocks on the foundation. That's who Jesus is. It's interesting that the illustrations that Jesus uses for the kingdom of God are all agricultural, mostly agricultural. Farming. There's sheep and goats and there's wheat and tares and there's sowing sowing the seed and good soil and bad soil. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. Jesus uses all those illustrations. But when Peter and Paul talk about Jesus, it's architectural. It's construction. That's how we see that. That's what it comes like. Peter uses some phrases from the Old Testament. See, I see a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. He quotes that from Isaiah. Stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It's marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. He quotes that from Psalms. But they use this construction illustration. When, when the Apostle Paul's talking about the church and Jesus' role in the church, he says this in Corinthians, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, that's a tecton. Writes to the church of Ephesians. He says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, that is in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Incredible how. Peter and then Paul use this illustration of Jesus as the foundation, the foundation stone built in the first corner of the house, which determined the shape and the texture and strength of that house. He's the foundation. And it's important that we understand that because Peter wants to get that across. And and he didn't always realise that, you remember. But now he does. He's the foundation of 
the life of His people. He's not the walls. He's not the roof just to keep you dry. He's not the insulation to protect you from stuff alone. He's not, you know, the tapware. He's not the cosmetics of the house. He's not the window frames. He is the foundation. He is before everything. He is the stone that is laid before anything else happens. He's the foundation. And Peter wants you to know that right from the start. He wants to make that clear. And he's had some agonising moments to have to distill that himself, but he wants to make it clear. He's before everything. He's before your house. He's before your job. He's before your bank balance. He's before your career. He's before your studies. He's before your favourite sporting team. He's before everything. He is the foundation on which everything else rises or falls if he's not the foundation. You know, sometimes, and it says in the Scripture, some, some people stumble over that. They don't want him to be the foundation. Some of us love to be the centre of our own world. But he's the foundation. Some of us like to set the, set the course in motion for ourselves. But he's the foundation. It's a stumbling block over which some people stumble. But the church is a living, breathing organism that has Jesus as the rock at the foundation of everything. That's who we are. And Peter really wants for his people around the place to know, to know that we need to be brought back to the foundation stone of Jesus all the time, whom the Spirit dwells in to bring about the purposes of Jesus in our world and in our life. We're not to shrink back from that. The biggest and strongest building in the Old Testament is the temple. But the biggest and strongest building in the new life is you and me. We are now the building, building on the foundation of Jesus. We've got to get that. He's not just, Jesus is not just an added value to our life. He's not just a value add. It's great to have him. He's good. He's the foundation. And Peter says that right at the beginning to make it clear we get it. And he has to say that because now he talks about us. And he uses some phrase and some phraseology which is kind of mind-blowing in many ways. Just some of the phrases he used one after the other. He says, you're a chosen generation. What an extraordinary thing. And we could debate for weeks and months, you know. People get theological debates about election and free will and all that. Don't get caught up on that. You're chosen by God. You're a chosen people. The Bible says in another place, you've been chosen by God before the creation of the world. In other words, before the ground you drove on to get here this morning was created by God, you were chosen. You're chosen for the creation of the world. It's amazing when we think about that. Whatever generation, you're a chosen generation, whatever generation you are, whether you're builders, boomers, Z, Y, X, whatever you might be, you're a chosen generation. God has chosen you for a purpose. With Him as the foundation and you building your life on top of that, you've been chosen for that purpose. God has chosen you. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know you're chosen. Don't ever take that casually or flippantly. The God of all creation has chosen you. That's extraordinary. That's amazing. He says you're a royal priesthood. You know, it's part of the, the, de- the description. He gives, you're a royal priest. The, the role of the priest was to represent people to God. In the Old Testament, there were three types of leaders, prophets, priests and kings. The king was obvious. You are the sovereign. You're over everything. The prophet spoke to people on behalf of God. The priest was the other way around. He spoke to God on behalf of people. He brought their sins and their brokenness before God. Now, when it comes to Jesus, He fulfilled all of those. He says He came to fulfil the law and the prophets. He became the King, King of kings and Lord of lords. He became the great prophet because He spoke on behalf of His Father to us. And He became a priest, which is, you know, He intercedes for us. He brings us before His Father. But He also gave us the role of being priests. He said, you're a royal priesthood. You're that. One of the functions. And the role of the priest was manifold. It was a many-fold um, function. But one of them, of course, was to go once a year into the most holy place in the temple and bring the sins of his whole people before his father. That was, that was his role, the role of the priest before Father God, to bring, to bring them before Jehovah. That was the role of the priest. They had lots of other roles. They had to, there were people making offerings all the time for different things, bringing animals and, and birds to the temple to make offerings. But once a year, he went into this place called the Holy of Holies. That was shattered. That was shattered at the cross. You know what happened at the cross? wasn't just the forgiveness of God for your sin. It was that. But God did that in a dramatic way. Rocks split in two. Earthquakes happened. And the curtain of this little chamber in the temple where God's presence was, the curtain of that chamber called the Holy of Holies, a curtain four inches thick. Think about that. Three phone books. Try and rip that. Was torn in two from top to bottom. What God was saying is no longer do you need a priest that did it for you. You've got one now. And you have direct access now as a royal priesthood to the very presence of God Himself. You've got direct access now. You can bring anyone, anything, any situation before the throne room of God, before the very presence of God and be confident. That's what this is saying. You're a royal priesthood. By the way, just one of the other things about a priest, fascinating. One of the things that was a responsibility of the priest was to keep the fire burning in the temple at all times because people brought offerings and to make burnt offerings from them. So the fire had to be going. And if he didn't do it himself, he had to make sure that somebody was doing it. You get the analogy, don't you? One of the things for us is to make sure we're the temple. Make sure the fire keeps burning. Make sure the coals don't go out. Because they do for some of us, let's be honest. They do from times. And you need a prod, you need a poke. We just had a, a fireplace that was a real oldie, redone and not redone, but 
we had a chimney sweep out to make sure it wasn't blocked and he went out and came out. He told me he's one of only two chimney sweeps in Brisbane. And he's been a chimney sweep for 50 years. And we had a, now we've got a wonderful fire that we can burn at nights and mornings sometimes. But you know what happens towards the end of the time for you, it just gets black. And underneath is red stuff. But you've got to give it a poke. You've got to give it a prod. Priest's job was to make sure that fire didn't go out. It's part of our job. Make sure the fire of God's Spirit in us doesn't go cold, doesn't go out. He says, goes on to say, you're a holy nation. What an extraordinary thing. You're a holy nation. You know, when you think about nations, most nations have a distinctive about them when you think about them. I'm Irish. I was born in Ireland. When you think Irish nation, you think potatoes, right? You think potatoes, you think accents. Happened to lost mine. You think um, jokes, weird Irish jokes that are funny for most people, but not everyone. I've been to Haiti a few times. It's the poorest country in the uh, Western world. And when I think of Haiti, I think of absolute abject poverty. I think of voodoo because that's a growing religion there, predominant religion. When you think of Brazil, you think of colour and flamboyance and carnival. Most nations have got a distinctive about them and so have you and I. Peter says you're a holy nation. That's your distinctive. You're a holy nation. You have holiness about you. That's who you are. But it's not holiness as we often think about it. We think holiness is about ticking a whole box, a whole bunch of boxes of behavioural behaviours. I didn't grow up in the church, but I know of people who, who many do. Traditionally in church, holiness comes to mean you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't go to dances, you don't go to movies, you don't mess around with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you don't be a bully, you don't lie and cheat. And ticking those behavioural boxes and many more, that's what makes you holy. That's not what makes you holy. Holiness is not a, it's not a moralism. They're good moral principles and they're good things to, to do, some of them. But holiness comes because you're connected intimately to a holy God. That's how holiness comes. It's not about a, a bunch of behaviours to tick off. It's not about that. You know as well as I do, there are people you know in your world who tick those behaviours off really well, sometimes better than we do, but are not followers of Jesus. More than once I've said to people, that person make a great Christian because they just live really well. They tick all the boxes, but they haven't come to faith. You don't become holy by ticking the boxes. You become holy by being connected to the holiness of God. His glory, His majesty, His awesomeness, His power. God says Himself, be holy as I am holy. He's not just holy because He ticks the boxes. He's God and you're a holy nation. We're a holy nation as we connect with a holy God. We embrace a holy God and we allow that holy God to embrace us. It's not about um, ticking boxes. It's about His awesome 
power and might and connecting in with that and trusting him. Now, some of those boxes are good. Don't get me wrong. And we need to live well. But you, the reason you live different is not because you tick the boxes. It's because you are different. You've got to be different before you live different. You've got to come to understand the God of creation before you live different. You can live different all sorts of ways. But you need to understand, be a holy God and be a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a chosen generation. Once we realise that's, that's who we are, then we live different. We do it out of that. It's really important that we grasp that. He says, you're God's special possession, a people belonging to God, that you can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You're a special people. That word literally means you're procured by God. God pursues you and procures you. You're His possession. It doesn't mean there's some weird, weird onerous thing, onerous, ownership thing, but God has pursued you and procured you and you're His. You belong. How good is it to belong? People long for belonging. You've got to belong to something. That's why people get into gangs and all that sort of stuff. They just want to belong. Says, you're God's belonging. You're God's special possession. You've been called out of darkness into His wonderful light. There's this gentle enfolding for you, not an, un, not, an unhealth, not an unhealthy way God says, ha ha, I've got you. It's a gentle, gracious unfolding of God in you as you surrender your life to Him. God is enfolding you. There are stories throughout the Gospels of, of Jesus belong, finding people to belong. He's a tax collector, hated man, up a tree, says, come down because today I'm going to eat with you at your place. You belong. You belong. Sees a woman who's been caught in a terrible act, literally in the act of adultery. People want to stone her because they can. That's what the law says. But he moves in and protects her and says, look, let's not do that anymore, but you belong now. A woman crawls through a crowd and grabs the hem of his garment and power goes out from him to her. You belong. Peter was walking, doing his stuff by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, come follow me. Now he belongs. You see, you are a special belonging. God pursues us and procures us to be a special people. Not privileged not, you know, you deserve it, not entitled. It's quite the opposite. You're a possession for a reason, for a purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, it's not just that we talk about him, it's that we declare. There's something about a declaration, something about actually declaring something that matters. I'm going to speak about that a bit more in a moment. But how many people, if I say the the number 393, what does it mean to you? Anything? 393 is the number of runs England had in their first innings in the first test when they declared. 
There you are. You didn't know that, did you? Some of you did. And a declaration is the end of one innings and the beginning of another. There's no more that happens in this innings once the declaration. Peter says you've been called out of darkness, old innings, into light, new innings. You're no longer in darkness, you're in light. Sometimes it gets shadowy. Sometimes we have trouble believing that. Sometimes it's hum- with all our humanists, it's, it's difficult to, to find that light sometimes. Jimmy talked about that before. But you've been called out of darkness into his light that you declare the praises of him. And that's not, when it says declare the praises, it doesn't mean you stand in a circle and sing. That's not what it means to declare the praise on this time. There's plenty of opportunity. The, the scripture talks about a lot about worship, etc. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's that you declare about God in your world what is worthy about God to be praised. The word is virtues. You declare the virtues of Him that are worth praising, that are worth calling out. And the word declaring means to show forth or shout out but not just in words. You can see it up on the screen. It's the, it's the word exaggerate. We get our word exaggerate from that. You're to exaggerate. For us, it's a negative word. When somebody exaggerates, it's a, it's a kind of negative word. But it's not meant to be that. It's in a language. It means to show forth or expand or to declare, to show forth. What what about God is worth praising? His love, His compassion, His grace, power, His majesty, His healing, strength. It's not just to stand in a circle and sing praises. That's not what this means at all. Plenty of ways you can call on Scripture to say that, but not this one. You may declare the praises. You may exaggerate what's great about God. You may expand what's great about God. You may show forth what's great about God because He's called you out of darkness from one innings to another into His marvellous light. It's an amazing thing. This, this is a phenomenal passage of Scripture that, that, that Peter, the, the conundrum who is so fresh but so real, tells us. And the passage is amazing because it's, in an, it's written in an unusual tense, a tense that we don't use very often in English. It's called the present continuous tense. And the present continuous tense is about something that's happened but is still happening. It's happened already in the present, but it's still happening. That's the, that's the tense. That's what's doing. So He's building you into, you have been built into a living stone and He's still building you into a living stone. That's what this passage means. You are and you're becoming a royal priesthood. So He's already made you a royal priesthood, but you are becoming that as well, growing in that. You are and are becoming a holy people. You're a holy people, but as you get closer to God and understand Him and know He's he's more and more a part of your life, then you become a more holy person. You have been and you are being mercied. That's the word. You have received mercy and you're still receiving mercy. That's the tense this is in. It's a phenomenal passage of Scripture. 
You are and you're becoming. You are and you're becoming. You have been saved and you are being saved. You have been rescued and you are being rescued. You are a child of God and you're becoming more and more a child of God. That's what this tense means. That's why it's so crucial and so important to us. You have, you had not received mercy, but now you have and you are receiving mercy, He says. Yesterday when I was at the MOVE conference, I was just thinking about in a, in a worship time and, and praying and God, God placed one word on my mind. And uh, that doesn't always happen for me and it doesn't happen a lot maybe, but it should happen more. It was the word undersold. Undersold. And when I reflected about it about today and I was thinking about that today, I think somehow, sometimes, we've undersold Jesus. That He is a great guy, He's the Son of God, He's God the Son, and He adds value to my life and all of that. But we've undersold Him by not thinking and realising He's the foundation of everything. He's before it all. He's before everything. He's the foundation of the world. I think sometimes I have undersold Him. Maybe you have too. He's just here to get me through a tough life or a tough season. And I think we've undersold ourselves, the church, His followers sometimes. That we haven't realised that, you know, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. God has given us access to Himself for all time now. There's no hindrances except the ones we make. We're a chosen people. We're a chosen nation, a holy nation. We're a people who God is building and enfolding into people who will make, that word holy just seems makes, means different. We live different. We are different. We maybe have undersold what God has done in us and what He's doing in us. We may have undersold that. And I think Peter, who gets it all because he's now matured to the point where he realises his past is his past. He gets to the point of, of now saying, that's who we are. Folks, that's who we are. When Jesus walks past you on the Sea of Galilee and says, hey, drop everything and follow me, you do it. Because that's who we are. He is the foundation and we are now people as living stones being built into that building that's meant to make a difference and live in this world. We're not just meant to live differently and be different just to be a little better in ourselves. We're meant to be different, live differently because we impact the world around us because we make a difference. You're someone belonging to God. I want to just finish by saying a couple of things. And, you know, if we get this and grasp it in all its reality, it means so much. It means confidence in who God is and who you are. You may be here this morning and you're lacking a bit of confidence. You know the rhetoric, you know what it means to follow God and you've done that, but the confidence of being a representative of God on this planet hasn't quite hit home yet. 
You can have a confidence. You can have hope. Hope is an extraordinary thing. And he talked about last week, you've been, first chapter, you've been born again to a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus. You have a living hope now. That's who you are. You're a people in relation to God, a holy, holy people who now have hope. And you might be here this morning and hope's faded a bit, disappeared somewhat. You've, you can have a dynamic faith rather than a get stuck faith because it's that present continuous sense. God just hasn't done something in your life and left you to get on with it yourself. No, this is present continuous. You have been rescued, you are being rescued. You have been pursued by God, you are being pursued by God. You are God's, you have belonged, now you do, and you still belong and you belong more. You're a holy nation and you're going to be more and more holy nation. That's the importance of that. You, you, you might be here this morning and maybe faith's taken a stumble. Maybe it's, it's uh, the dynamism that is faith has got stuck. It does that for us sometimes. We've got to be honest about that. Got stuck. I want to pray with us this morning and pray for you. And I, I know at the end of the service will be times where you can come and have prayer, but I want to pray for you now. And I want to say this, if, if you're here this morning and there's been a, a seeping away of confidence, a seeping away of hope, there's some circumstances, there's some things that for you, that you haven't realised that God has made you into someone, not for the sake of pretension or for the sake of entitlement, but He's made you a holy people, a person belonging to Him. Maybe you're here this morning struggling with hope, struggling with confidence, or maybe that part of you which is faith has become stuck a little bit. Not as dynamic and living and present continuous as it should be. I want us to close our eyes if we would. And if that's you this morning and you want, if you can say to God this morning, that's me, God, I've I've lost something of confidence. I've lost something of that hope. I've lost something of that dynamism in my faith. I don't think I'm being built into a living star, into a living building. I maybe lost sight of the foundation who is Jesus. Maybe it's just a value add. I want you to stand where you are right now. I'm going to pray for you. Just if that's you this morning, you've lost a bit of hope, a bit of confidence, a bit of uncertainty. Just stand where you are right now. I'm going to pray for you. Just for a, I'm not going to make it, stretch it out. Understand where you are. Maybe you haven't grasped who God has made you to be. Just another few seconds and we'll pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that you have caused your son Jesus to be the foundation of everything. Father, I thank You for those who've stood this morning for their courage and bravery and for whatever reason, Lord, maybe that's slipped away somehow. Maybe that foundation has become a little shaky. Maybe the confidence has seeped away. Maybe the hope has dissipated somewhat. 
maybe they're feeling a little stuck, I want to thank you for that. You are here. You're with them. And Father, they're no less, they're no less a holy nation. They're no less one of your possessions. They're no less a royal priest. But Father, they just need to be encouraged. There may be a new infusion of your spirit within. So be with each one now. Let them know that they belong to you and you will never leave them nor forsake them. And you're building them into a, a living house, a living stone, that they will know that, Lord, in a new and fresh way. God, that's what you're doing in our midst. Father, I thank you that you bring us sometimes to inflection points in our life and in our faith that we just need to recognise who you are again. You're not the added value to our life. You're the foundation. You're the cornerstone. So Lord, I pray for each person this morning who's standing and I pray for each of us, Lord God, that, that we would know in new and fresh ways the foundation of Jesus and the living hope we have in Him. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.